Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. Uh, you may notice this is Reed speaking rather than Charlie. Uh, Charlie's busy in his finals week at Oregon. Um, but luckily enough, we are joined by Jonathan, a.k.a. Prodigy, uh, from the from Scoop Duck. And we're hyped to have him back on. Um, we're going to do a bunch of recruiting stuff for you this episode. So, yeah, how's it going, Jonathan? Good. How, how about yourself, Reed? Yeah, it's, it's going pretty well over here. I'm just pumped uh, to have the recruiting period kind of back yep. going. Yep. Um, the energy around this program right now feels like it's it's picked up really heavily for the first time almost since kind of last year around this time when we had a wave of commitments come through with Troy Franklin and a bunch of other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited just to talk some recruiting. Um, for anyone who doesn't know yet, so the dead period has been in effect uh, due to COVID for a little over a year now. Um, but this was the first weekend of June where things opened back up. And basically, Oregon had a big list of uh, list of official visitors on campus. Um, some of those names included uh, Cyrus Moss, uh, Robbie Snelling, Cam Williams, um, Landon Hollaby, the commit, Stephon Johnson, another commit, uh, Jalen Sneed. Yeah, J- Jalen Sneed, TJ Dudley, mm-hmm. uh, Sir Mills was actually a commit from this weekend. Uh, Terrence Brooks, to name, uh, you know, there's a bunch of people on campus, but those are a few big ones. Um, so I was thinking we just kind of go through position groups and uh, give our thoughts on how things might shake out for the Ducks at each spot. Um, and yeah, you know the deal, Jonathan, it's pretty casual, so interject with with any thoughts you have on the guy or um, what you think the Ducks will do. And I was thinking we'd start maybe along the D-line in the spirit of Sir Mel's recent commitment and just to shake things up. Um, So what do you think of that pickup? We'll start there, the Sir Mel's pickup for the Ducks this weekend. Yeah, so I've I've spoken to Mel's uh, plenty of times. Um, There's an article posted on Scoop Duck uh, that, that was posted this morning. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to Scoop Duck, uh, give it a look. Um, yeah, definitely he, great site. He's a he's a good prospect. Uh, he didn't play this past junior because of a, a injury, um, and he's willing and he wants to show Oregon Duck fan, Duck fans and Washington fans that uh, that he was a miss for the Huskies and that um, he's a good pickup for the Ducks. Um, he's kind of more of a projects guy. Um, I don't think he's going to make that first year impact for two reasons. One, uh, he needs to work on his hand, his pass rush moves. And second, like the D line is loaded. So it's going to take a little while for him to get um, some some playing time. Um, it'll probably be his sophomore year that he'll probably get some playing time. Um, but I think he's a good pickup for the Ducks. He's 6'4", 330 pounds from what he told me. And Oregon doesn't have that many big bodies along the lines of being 6'4", 330. Like, he does have some weight that he needs to shed a little bit. He needs to be more in that uh, 290 to 300 pounds. And he knows that. Um, but he's he's working on it. And um, that shouldn't be an issue under Coach Feld and the uh, strength and conditioning and nutrition staff. 
Yeah, I, I feel really similarly to that. I think, you know, one of the things I've said is, is Salovey has really made a habit of turning mm-hmm. these big bodied kind of uh, developmental project three star guys maybe into really impressive contributors. I mean, the most obvious example of that is Brandon Dorless, uh, one of my favorite players, as everyone knows. Um, <laughs> but Christian Williams was that way. Uh, Jordan Scott kind of came in under an earlier staff, I guess, but he was turned into that quickly as well. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I see it. I think it's a good pickup. And like you said, I mean, just getting someone that big with that big of a frame and size um, is a win, especially because he's a West Coast guy uh, coming out of Henderson, Nevada. And really, there just aren't that many of those guys on the West Coast. And it, mm-hmm. it helps us because, you know, like you said, he's a former Washington commit. And when you get those guys from the West Coast, it's both this easier to recruit them because of distance one. But you're also probably taking Mel's away from an in-conference uh, competitor. You know, he probably would have ended up at a at a Washington or a Cal or something like that. Um, and we would have had to face him within the conference if he didn't come to Oregon. So I thought it was a really good pickup, kind of a fun way to start off. Uh, this super busy June period for the Ducks. Yeah, and supposedly some schools out out east were starting to give him a look, um, mm. being that some of the guys are already starting to lean toward places in the SEC, so they kind of have to look somewhere else. And then um, they're starting to look at Mel's. I guess Georgia was one, and um, uh, Texas was another from from what I've read. Yeah, and, and the other thing that's important on Mel's, I think, is that you know, this really kind of has a potential, in my opinion, to start a little bit of a Nevada pipeline of sorts. We've mm-hmm. seen the Ducks kind of rely on that with California and Arizona in past classes. And so uh, Mel's is out of liberty, and, and people may know that's where Maliki Mataval came from last cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, we also had a, a long snapper center commit as a preferred walk-on on Sunday from Liberty. And the Ducks have another target, Anthony Jones, who's kind of a, a linebacker edge guy, potentially, I think. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that's kind of a thing that we could build out in Nevada. Robbie Snelling was on campus, at, who's a linebacker who the Ducks are, are targeting as well. And actually, there was a crystal ball placed for him recently um, by Steve Wiltfong. And then the biggest name to me, which I think you probably will have some thoughts on is, is Cyrus Moss. Now he doesn't go to Liberty. He's at Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, but nearby same region of the, of Nevada, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cyrus Moss to me is one of the biggest targets left in this class for the ducks. Uh, yeah. What do you think about that recruitment or just, you know, the importance of landing someone, on the edge for the Ducks as they've already kind of picked up both Grayson Holton and Sir Mills, who are more interior presences, and Moss could maybe be an edge pass rusher presence uh, in this class. Yeah, and Mills is making a huge impact on the recruiting uh, on the recruiting side because he's trying to get all these guys and build up this class, especially he knows that Oregon landed this huge 2021 class, and if they can build upon that for the 2022 Oregon's going to be set for years to come. So he's trying to be the leader of the class from what he told me. And he's really doing that with him, Landon, uh, Stefan, um, and Tanner. And you see it on Twitter that they're just like going after guys, um, trying to recruit the best. And um, Sir 
is super close with Cyrus. He spent the whole weekend with him, uh, just talking with him, spending time with him, just hanging out, sharing a laugh. And then another guy in Vegas is Zion Branch, which I think is a right. huge need on the back end. But we'll, we'll get back. We'll get to that later in the cast. And then um, right, definitely. Uh, but yeah, Cyrus is, is, is a huge pickup. He's not that exact KT fit, uh, where he's going to play that exact mold, but, um, he'll probably be more of that stud spot, um, coming off the edge, but he doesn't have that twitch, that, um, elite pass rush that KT has. There's a few other guys that, um, that Oregon's recruiting that could fill that KT spot, but, uh, Mel's is, will will definitely set the edge and, um, like let go of the of the blocks that he needs and or shed the blocks and get to the running back or receiver or whatever yeah right yeah um that you know that's what i think too i think you know you're never really going to find the exact perfect replacement for a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau who's kind of a generational talent and could Mm -hmm. go top five in the draft next year but getting a guy like Cyrus to come in there and um, fill that role, I think, you know, to the best of his ability and kind of still do his own thing, but um, have another guy to step in at defensive end and bring some pass rush ability uh, is a is a big need in this class when you have Kayvon leaving because that's going to be a hole that's obviously felt. Um, I think, you know, when you're looking at the D-line, I mean, another guy – I put up a story um, over on Ducks Digest uh, kind of breaking down my top 10 defensive targets for the Ducks, I thought. And one of those mm-hmm. guys was uh, Anai White out of Philadelphia. Um, he, you know, He's another guy who I think is an option there as a really talented pass rusher. Obviously, the kind of issue there is there's a big distance that has to be overcome with him coming all the way from Philly. Yeah. Um, but the Ducks kind of were able to branch into the Northeast last cycle with Dante Thornton and Damon David. Um, so, I, you know, that's a guy to look at. And then there's there's a few other options that they could look at uh, as well, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Sterling Lane. Uh, Jelly Kelly from yeah, Florida. Yeah. And uh, Ernest Cooper was another one. Um, were kind of some other names I was looking at uh, as potential options. Yeah. Um, yeah, do you have any thoughts on any of those or anyone else that stands out to you? Yeah, um, and then I White loves Oregon. He's trying to figure out who he wants to take his last uh, official visit to and then go from there. Uh, currently, he has Alabama, Ohio State. He just took a visit to Florida this past weekend. Georgia, yeah, those are the four. And then Clemson, Oregon. And a few other ones are vying for that last spot. Um, he and I White's probably that perfect KT um, right. player, and um, I think he outplays his ranking from what he's listed. Um, I know and I was playing with an injury, but I know and I loves what Joe has done with KT and how he's developed him and how and who um, Joe Salavea is as an individual. Like he'll send and I like motivational texts and and I appreciate it and um, it means a lot to him. Um, yeah, that's that's super cool. Um, I'm I'm also super excited just to see. I think that this year with Tim DeRuiter stepping in, mm-hmm. I think Kayvon could be unleashed even more, and that could really help. Uh, with some of these recruitments along the edge of the D line. Um, And also with a guy like Anai White, I think, uh, you know, 
Oregon fans might be able to understand his recruitment a little better because I think I've, I saw this quote maybe on Twitter or it was a headline of a 247 article or something maybe, but where he was kind of one of those guys who, who views Oregon as a dream school of sorts, you know, mm-hmm. um, and kind of aspired to be a part of this program or just was one of his favorite teams growing up because of the energy that Oregon had uh, and kind of captured the attention of college football in the early 2010s with the offense and the uniforms and the facilities and all of that. Um, so for me, that's kind of how I look at it is, is um, you know, when, when there's kids who are on or prospects who are on the East Coast or in the South, um, oftentimes they kind of idolize Oregon in some ways. And I think getting that official visit is a big step to turn that kind of idea that they have of Oregon into a reality where you kind of can say, you could actually, you know, do this and come to your, come to this dream school. Um, and it's a place that actually kind of, you know, exists and is grounded within a campus and a real school and all of that. Um, so I think that's an interesting group recruitment where that kind of dream school aspect is always an X factor mm-hmm. that if a visit really clicks, it could go in the Ducks way. Yeah, and then something tells me that he probably will take that official visit to Oregon, being that like some of the schools that he's considering um, are down south, whereas Oregon's far east, and price, price will always come into play where if he's able to take a visit to Oregon or Clemson, but Clemson's like a three-hour drive or, or five-hour drive, whatever, and Oregon's like a five-hour flight, he'd rather spend that money going to Oregon and probably seeing it in the fall, which it would benefit Oregon if he visited Oregon in the fall for a game. Right. Yeah, and, and the, I'm sure the game day experience, especially this year after, after some time away with uh, no in-person fans, is going to be... Um, extra special in awesome this year, so that that could mm-hmm. definitely be a big uh, shift in in that recruitment. I think for the Ducks. yeah, even even if Autzen is like at least seventy five percent full, like it's still gonna give that a uh, huge energy and be as loud as Autzen always is. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, you want to move over to some linebackers here? Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the issue with uh, Coach Wilson probably has in his hands right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got a uh, no shortage of talent, I guess, already on the team with, with Funa and um, Flo and Sewell, obviously. Um, who else is kind of standing out to you as a potential target at linebacker? And also just... Do you think that linebacker is going to be something that the Ducks prioritize this class or something that they may be uh, with some guys already in the program uh, are not quite as focused on, I guess? Uh, So it's not like at the top of the board, like the recruiting uh, for the linebacker spot. I think probably on the defensive side, I think it's probably edge rusher and uh, DB. Right. Um, But... um, of course, linebacker is always important. Uh, of course, you know, or we all know that Justin Flo and Noah Sue are going to be three and out guys. Um, right. So we got to, so Oregon has to replace that talent. Um, a few guys are Sean Murphy, which I think Oregon has 
somewhat of a good shot at. I know he's mentioned that he likes uh, how Oregon's bringing in these elite linebackers and he doesn't care about playing time because he knows he'll have to sit somewhere or have to earn that playing time, whether it's Bama, LSU, Florida, whatever. Um, Jalen Sneed is between uh, Notre Dame and Oregon pretty much at this point. Um, I know he has Oklahoma, Tennessee as the other two schools, but it's pretty much Oregon and Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And then Nafai Tua Halamaka, he just came off a visit to Texas. Um, It's pretty much Oregon, Texas, and Notre Dame. I think Oregon's going to land either Nafai. Uh, to Alahalamaka or Jalen Sneed, um, Notre Dame's going to run out of spot, run out of spots for linebackers. So they're going to have to turn away someone. And I know they're recruiting some other linebackers. That's um, that's really interesting because yeah, I actually saw kind of a flood of crystal balls came in for uh, Nifai Tui Halamaka. Hopefully, I did that all right. Uh, yeah. To uh, to Notre Dame this weekend. Um, and so that's interesting what you say, kind of when you when you have those situations where two schools are going at it in a recruiting battle for multiple guys at the same spot, it is uh, it does play out that way awesome, often where mm-hmm. one guy decides and then that school's full and therefore uh, the Ducks could get the other guy. Maybe that's Jalen Sneed or maybe there's a, a switch in the recruitment or what have you. Um, yeah, I think those, you mentioned a lot of good guys. Another guy I'm looking at is, Travius Lathan uh, out of Miami. Mm-hmm. He's a really physically gifted guy. Um, also, you know, it always kind of helps to extend that pipeline and get into Florida. I think that's a guy that Oregon's definitely in the mix with. Um, and then also Anthony Jones, like I mentioned before, mm-hmm. being Sir Mel's teammate. I think that's a guy who's, um, you know, he, he's a little more of that kind of developmental piece, maybe, as you mentioned with Mel's, who isn't going to come in and be a Noah Sewell and start, uh, you know, most of the season as a freshman. But you do need a mix of those guys in every class. You can't uh, just have people who expect to play the first year because you just don't have that much playing time. So you need guys who are also developmental. And I think Jones is a a good example of that type of option at linebacker potentially. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another two names is Lander Barden uh, from Salt Lake city, Utah. Um, he's mm. six foot four two fifteen. He's high on Oregon's uh, recruiting board. And then of course, Robbie Snelling that just came off the visit. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely think Snelling's a guy that could be uh could be a take for Oregon. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, he's, he's someone who, whenever you see these visits, uh, and someone has a super positive impression of them, you always wonder if, you know, there's kind of the after visit glow and then a week or two after it, if, if they're still kind of feeling that same interest in a school, sometimes that's when a commitment can pop, at least in my experience, um, following this. So, I think that that's a name to watch as well, definitely. Um, yeah, you know, TJ Dudley, like we mentioned, was on campus. I yeah. think Stone Blanton was, uh, I forget if he visited this week or he's visiting in the later this month or something, but he's another linebacker um, who is, you know, amongst the Ducks targets there. Sebastian Sheeks is another one that's been brought up to me. Um, I know he's coming from the Indiana area, and I know he's been crystal balled to Notre Dame. So that's why I kind of think that, like, Oregon's pretty much going head-to-head against 
it's basically Ken Will Ken Wilson versus Marcus Freeman for these linebackers, and um, well, it'll that, be it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that's a fascinating battle because obviously on the field, Oregon and Notre Dame are kind of in similar positions as well. They're both kind of in that second tier of the sport right now. It feels like battling to move up to the next rung and make playoffs consistently and compete with the likes of Bama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Um, so that's that's a really interesting recruiting battle at that linebacker spot between us. But I think also, like you said, it makes me feel uh, – it should make feel, Oregon fans feel positive that at least some of these talented linebackers will probably let, end up at Oregon um, in the long run, I think. Yeah, and I think with the linebacker spot, with Oregon only having one linebacker committed, um, from what I've been told, Oregon wants to take potentially up to 22 or 23 commits in this class, wow. with the lowest being uh, 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of the range that Oregon's playing around with, so they could potentially take up to four linebackers. But right now, we got to assume that they're only taking um three at the moment so this linebacker issue is going to be solved by the end of july if not um yeah probably by the end of july for sure once these guys start committing and spots start filling up in places right yeah exactly and i i kind of wrote a little bit um about kind of that scholarship math uh maybe two weeks ago um and I think it's important to realize that um, there's a lot of people who have kind of eligibility returning because they got that super label slapped on them in the free year from COVID. Yeah. But I think that it's it's probably reasonable to expect a few of those older guys who technically will still have eligibility um, to move on after this year um, just because they've been at Oregon so long. Um, so I think that, you know, like you said, I mean – Oregon is going to have to try to get around that 18-plus uh, scholarships available, Mark, because that's just what elite programs are doing right now. Yeah, exactly. And if you want to be, like, a national contender, you have to, like, fill up your class to as most as you can. And 23 is, like, the best that you can with, with the scholarship numbers dealing with the whole COVID right. thing and all that. Right. And, and, yeah, I mean, I was looking for that. I, I looked at Alabama recently. They've signed 27... 25 and then 27 commits within the last three years so i mean you know i tend to think if nick saban's uh filling up these classes it seems like it's working pretty well for him yeah. um so it's probably best for cristobal and company to kind of try to follow that model uh to the best of their abilities yeah and on the last note for linebacker um it's pretty obvious uh, Justin Flo and Noah Sewell are going to start for the next two years at Oregon. So it's pretty much um, who's going to kind of fill behind them and who's going to be the next guy to take over for them once they leave. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good point is that, um, I mean, well, a guy like Sean Murphy would be great, obviously. It doesn't necessarily uh, – this isn't necessarily the cycle that Oregon has to hit on that guy. Even though yeah. you always want to, obviously, um, you know they do have those two guys that are filling in the starting linebacker spots for the next two years really solidly. So, and, and Sean and Nafai Tula Halamaka are both true inside linebackers, like more right. of that Noah Sewell type. Right. Totally. Um, all right. Moving on to secondary. Um, do you want to? I mean. 
So I guess Oregon has, you know, two safeties already committed. Um, it seems like they could take one more potentially. Um, mm -hmm. and That's what I'm hearing. Right. And secondary is a kind of a big need for this Oregon team right now, I would say. Um, because after the departure of Mikhail Wright and Ron McKinley, which both could potentially leave after this year, that group in the secondary really doesn't have too much experience um, there, and it doesn't even have a huge name. Uh, I guess Jamal Hill as well I should throw in there as an important guy right and DJ now. Names, or yeah, DJ, DJ James could leave, but it's really doubted bec right. because of how much playing time he's had. Right, exactly. He'd need a he'd need a big breakout year this year, um, but yeah. So so definitely, I would say secondary for me seems like a big priority this cycle. Um, and part of you know a, a, the kind of two names that seem to be percolating pretty heavily is is kind of um, Jaleel Tucker and Jaleel Florence, both mm -hmm. out of San Diego, seem like pretty important guys this cycle to me. Um, kind of a, a duo in there. Um, they're teammates, if I'm not mistaken. And so yeah. um, those are two guys at corner that uh, could be really impressive. They're, they're kind of interesting. Tucker is a top 100 player, I think. Um, a really talented guy uh, who kind of has played both corner and receiver. Um, and then uh, Florence kind of was flying under the radar in terms of his rankings, but I think I saw recently he just got a fourth star yeah, uh, from 247. So the Ducks kind of were on that, um, on that recruitment early, and I think that could pay off dividends going forward. I think you know, when I looked at it a couple weeks ago, he had mainly offers from Pac-12 programs, and then Oregon and Michigan were kind of the most – uh, notable programs that it extended offers at that point, but I expect with that four-star ranking that his recruitment is likely to kind of blow up here in the next few months, maybe. Yeah, right now he has ske visits scheduled to Michigan for July June 11th and Syracuse June 25th, and I assume he'll take two more to Oregon for an official, and then Washington, being that um, he just visited there for the uh, spring practice that they had up there. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, do you, think, do you think that Tucker and Florence are kind of two guys that are big would you characterize it the same way that they're kind of a big part of the corner recruitment right now for the Ducks? Yeah, uh, I think Florence kind of has that same backstory as Darren Barkins did um, mm -hmm. last year with um, not being able to get out to camps, um, not having um, that much film out, but um, he, he'll definitely be a four-star when it's all said and done. Um, Tucker's Tucker's potential is more on the defensive side. I think he's probably more of that DJ James right. um, type of corner. Um, but Oregon, Oregon's in a good spot with Jaleel Florence and um, Tucker. I think you never hear of the package deal, but I think this is one where it ends up being a package deal for both of them. Right, exactly. Yeah, that that's a term that's sometimes thrown around in recruiting, but it seems like it quickly goes away most times and... and um, recruits just end up at their own places that are best for them. But I do think, like you said, I mean, with them being uh, teammates and plus them both sharing the name Jaleel, I think it's just kind of too good to pass up. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it would be pretty uh, 
pretty exciting for Ducks fans, definitely, if they ended up there. Another guy I'm looking at at corner maybe is, is Zeke Barry, uh, another mm-hmm. California prospect. I mean, for the Ducks, you know, that California is, is kind of their pipeline, their biggest pipeline in a lot of ways. Um, and so he was a, he was the other corner I had listed in my top 10 targets piece. Um, Terrence Brooks was a guy on campus this weekend. Uh, and it seems like that uh, visit went well, likely. So hopefully the Ducks can kind of make an, make a surge there and get involved there because he's another really talented option at corner. Yeah, yeah the word that I got from uh, Brooks' visit was that um, he was talking to Verone McKinley. I guess the two families are really close going way back then. Um, wow. Brooks loved the visit. It seems like it's going to be an Oregon, um, Alabama recruitment, and um, Texas A&M is kind of like that third team in there. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes, but it's going to be a tough battle for Coach um, Chance and uh, Yates and Coach uh, Cristobal for that recruitment. Right, yeah. I mean, for the Ducks, um, you know, I probably will talk more about this Texas pipeline that we have going. Uh, once we get to the O-line especially, that's that's kind of where it seems to be playing out pretty heavily. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Ducks have made some made some headway there and having, uh, you know, Stephon Johnson and Landon Hall be also on campus this weekend, I'm sure, kind of helped uh, with Brooks. And then that connection with McKinley, who, of course, is also from Texas. Um could you know those types of relationships and building trust within you know someone's region and where someone is from uh with a staff and with a program is kind of how recruiting battles are won over time um so i'm that would be a huge get to kind of cement that uh texas pipeline i think for sure yeah toriano prides on campus today at at oregon but it seems like clemson's going to be the team Mm -hmm. to be and Mm -hmm. i think Clemson will probably end up landing Toriano Pride, but Oregon's going to give their best shot, and I know it's Oregon, Clemson, and uh, Ohio State for his recruitment. Right, that makes sense, and yeah, I mean, obviously those, anytime you're going against Clemson and Ohio State, those are kind of the best of the best um, in terms of, you know, the top tier of the sport, so that's interesting. Yeah, especially uh, DB. Right, <laughs> right, yeah, definitely. Um Okay, and then, yeah, we, we kind of mentioned Zion Branch earlier. Um, last I, I heard with him, I guess he was um, scheduling his official visits, and uh, is it true Oregon was maybe left off that list initially? So he originally scheduled an official visit to Oregon. He posted it on his Twitter. Mm. Um, he removed it um, because he decided to take some other visits to other SEC schools. I think Oklahoma and Clemson were the added to um, visits um, that were put on. But the word is that he's still gonna take a visit to Oregon in the fall for unofficial visit. And Oregon and the coaches are trying to get him to visit at least and um, give the Ducks a shot. I know he likes Oregon and of course Sir Mills and um, a bunch of the other DBs are trying to um, get uh, Zion to visit because he's that ball hawking um, safety that Oregon probably hasn't had in a while. And I think he could definitely make a difference in that back end. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a top fifty guy who's a borderline. You know, could get a fifth star here later in the cycle potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's important. I mean, Ducks fans know well. Uh, even though it was um, just a kind of brief stint, Javon Holland's impact on the secondary was huge while he was here. We've had guys like Ifo Ekpreolmu, Cliff Harris in the past. John Boyette. Yeah, right. When you have those kind of ball-hawking safeties who make plays back there, you know, those turnovers are what flips games. And Zion Branch seems like uh, potentially the most talented guy in the secondary that's that Oregon's targeting, uh, or at least among that top group right now. Uh, they're, they're also targeting Keon Sab, but right. Oregon probably has a better shot at Zion than they do at Sab at this point currently. Right, especially being a, a West Coast guy, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, distance can potentially play a factor there. Um, yeah, I think, you know, definitely, if you look at that crystal ball for Zion Branch, it's it's Ohio State and USC who right now hold the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you said, Ohio State has an impressive DB history. Uh, you can't necessarily fault someone for choosing them. Um, but I think, you know, if this does kind of shift to a West Coast battle, it's just going to be another year where it's important for Oregon to, um, you know, really impress when they play USC on the field, uh, if that's in a Pac-12 championship again or something like that. Yeah, and also hope USC doesn't do well because currently for Zion Branch, um, his family, um, especially his father, wants him to go to USC um, because of the academics because of what they can do for him, especially with the NIL coming up here. And right. probably when he's a sophomore, he can make a buttload of money with uh, with his name and image and likeness. And um, I think that's why his dad and family want him to go to USC. Now, USC is a good option for sure, but um, we'll, we'll see how USC does this year, being that they brought in a new staff, are trying to change the program, trying to uplift it. But... Um, I think right now USC is the team to beat and everyone else is trying to beat USC right now. But hopefully USC doesn't do well and that gives everyone else an even playing field. Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oregon, Oklahoma. Right. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I mean, that's kind of a classic battle that we've seen these past few years is I think so much of the, especially that older generation on the West Coast views USC as, you know, the pen, the pinnacle of West Coast football. They were the dominant program for so long. Um, they had those, you know, the Reggie Bush years in the early 2000s and all of that. There's just a lot of kind of lore around the USC program where um, I think that families especially usually are just comfortable and coaches and the like are comfortable kind of uh, sending uh, that recruits to USC because they, you know, are just familiar with that program. But I think a lot of the kind of younger wave right now is really interested in Oregon because, you know, for anyone who's who's a high school senior or a junior right now, um, as you know, all of these prospects are, they've seen Oregon be the dominant force on the West Coast and Oregon play for two national titles, um, and so I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic and. You know, that's just a common theme for Chris Bull right now is trying to uh, kind of deprogram that aspect of the West Coast that funnels so many of the most talented people to USC and shift that and show that Oregon is actually the kind of national power on the West Coast now. 
and that and that Eugene is the place to come to play the most elite level college football. Yeah, and that first step is beating Ohio State. Even if they don't beat Ohio State, let's say they lose, but they win the rest of their games and then they get to the playoffs, like that's that's just as big as they as beating Ohio State. Like in terms of probably the recruiting because it's like, oh, okay, Oregon's taking that next level. And then, but of course, we'll, we can get into that on a different podcast. No, yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again before the season, before that game to to do more of an in-depth preview of it. But, yeah. you know, when we're talking about recruiting, I think it's important to mention that game can shift the perception of Oregon to such a huge degree. It would, mm-hmm. you know, in one game, it would legitimize everything that Cristobal's built here, I think, and show that Oregon really is, you know, solidly on the edge of that top tier of college football. Um, because, you know, working against Oregon is the Pac-12 perception and people kind of treating the Pac-12 as if it isn't even a Power 5 conference anymore. So if if Oregon can make a statement there and defeat the best team from the Big Ten year in and year out in, at, you know, in Columbus, um, that would obviously just be enormous for this program it it's really can't be overstated how big of a non-conference matchup that is it's it's truly one of the biggest games Oregon has played uh in my lifetime in program history yeah it, it can't be overstated in terms of games uh regular season games that aren't postseason of course yeah um, yeah Okay, do you want to uh, shift over to the offensive side, or do you have anything more on defense that you wanted to give a mention to? Yeah, just uh, on the last bit of uh, DB. So it's pretty much for, for the safety spot, it's Keon Sab, uh, Zion Branch, and Zeke Berry for that last safety position. Mm-hmm. Um, Zion Branch probably has that probably has the best uh, versatility. I mean, so does Zeke Berry, but uh, those two are pretty much at the top or all three but of course Oregon has the better shot with Zion Branch and Zeke Berry but don't let Zeke Berry's um uh ranking uh fool you because he is one of the one of the better DBs on the west coast and you see his um recruitment upticking with USC starting to get in the picture and probably close to offering yeah yeah that's a great point I think yeah I Zeke Berry was someone who really impressed me um, on film, especially with kind of the physicality that he brought to things. Both he was athletic enough to hold up in coverage, but then he was really willing to come down to the line and make a big tackle. And that's something Mm -hmm. that's um, important at the safety spot. Also, you know, would be important at the corner spot if he transitioned to that route as well. So. Yeah, hopefully he gets an op- he gets an invite to the opening, and we can see him out here in LA for the opening, um, and, and the first week of July. Wow, yeah. Would you be? Would you? Uh, do you usually cover that? Uh, so me and Justin are gonna cover it uh, this year. I don't usually go just because it's been kind of far away, and the last two years or two years ago it was in Texas, and then right. previous years it was in uh, Oregon. But yeah, this year I'm gonna be going to it, and then me and Justin are gonna be uh, providing coverage for it. That's awesome. That is awesome, man. I'm jealous of that. Um, okay, you want to switch over to the offensive side now? Yeah, let's go. Um, okay, so first off, uh, just figure we should address quarterback a little bit. Um, I mean, Tanner Bailey's the name there. Do you think that there's anything else, uh, any anyone else that's kind of worth mentioning even? 
uh, or do you think you know that's just kind of the route that the staff is going to go? Uh, Oregon's looking at another linebacker, but uh, and he was on campus, but Oregon's pretty much locked in set with Tanner Bailey, and um, that's only for a backup. Um, right. just in case if anything happens to Tanner Bailey, but Tanner Bailey's pretty much a hundred percent locked in and I don't see his, I don't see a decommitment at all. Right. And, and I would say, you know, for those who don't know, that's very typical of, of quarterbacks in recruiting. They like to lock in their spot, um, in the spring typically. I mean, Ty Thompson, I think committed in March. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, they, they lock in their spot. They have to get a good relationship with an offensive coordinator, get kind of to familiarize themselves with a scheme. And then also quarterbacks are some of the most important recruiters that you can have uh, in, a, in a class. Nothing kind of brings together a class or excites other prospects to play somewhere as much as knowing that you'll have an elite quarterback leading your unit. Um so, yeah, I think, you know, that's that's my perception as well. I mean, unless yeah. something crazy happened, Tanner Bailey seems like the guy. And really, you know, most of the other options that Oregon at one time was interested in have committed elsewhere just because that's what the nature of, of the quarterback recruiting is. Most, most, import, most notable prospects are going to be off the board by uh, the time summer rolls around, so... Yeah, and the last rated guy, MJ Morris, was a guy that uh, Oregon and uh, Joe Moorhead were after um, before Tanner Bailey recruited. He just committed to uh, uh, NC State, and he was probably the last, um, or he's the last uh, highest recruited or highest ranked uh, QB to go. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so then, uh, you know, next spot is running backs. Um, this is kind of a. Uh, interesting uh, thing for me. I mean, obviously, some fans may remember um, way back a year or two ago, Jaden Ott was committed to mm-hmm. Oregon out of Bishop Gorman. Uh, he was one of the first commits that kind of joined the fold. Um, but since then, he's decommitted. Um, and it seems like Oregon isn't really prioritizing the running back room too much. They have a, you know, a lot of young talent already on campus. They've taken... Uh, two backs, I think, and well, they took two backs last class at least, yeah. if you consider seven a running back. And I think they took uh, Trey Benson before that and Sean mm-hmm. Dollars, and so they have a they have a healthy staple of of running backs in the program already. Um, so I don't, you know, when I did my top ten offensive targets, I didn't end up including a running back in there just because there wasn't one that was quite notable enough to break into that list for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did mention uh, Relique Brown, I think it is. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I mentioned him at you know, and kind of the other names to potentially watch, but I didn't have one that kind of stood out to me as someone that the Ducks were recruiting super heavily. What's your impression of, of the running back recruitment right now? So I think they're going to not take a running back in 2022 and take one in 2023, but mm-hmm. they are still recruiting uh, some running backs just in case if anything happens, just in case like there's some right. players at running back that leave or that they retire due to medical, whatever, whatever the case may be. Right. Um, just kind of just, uh, seeing seeing what kind of options are out there, um, but it's pretty much uh, Damari Alston, George mm-hmm. Petaway, and Raylick Brown, pretty much for the three running backs that Oregon is 
recruiting, but I really doubt Oregon takes a running back. I, if I were to put it at a percentage, I think maybe like 20% that, that they probably take a running back. Right. And and my impression, yeah, I would say, you know, uh, probably a similar thing there. And, and my impression is that it's, it's also kind of a similar situation at the, in the tight end room right now, because Oregon added uh, both Terrence Ferguson and Maliki Matavau, two of the best tight ends to ever commit to Oregon last year. And then they picked up Andre Dollar uh, as a, as someone who's already joined the 2022 class out of Oklahoma um, four star tight end there. And so, you know, I, I kind of think that might be it uh, for the tight end room this cycle. Um, Maybe there's some other options, like you said, in case there's a decommitment or someone leaves the program or what have you. But, but Oregon has a, a pretty good stock of, of young tight ends on campus already. What's your perception of the tight end uh, room this cycle, though? Yeah, uh, so Andre Dollar, uh, I think he's probably like another projects guy. I think mm-hmm. probably that first year um, he's not going to play. And then, of course, um, probably not that second year either, probably just because of the logjam and everything. Right. But um, but I think he'll be a good guy for the Ducks. And then another name is probably Julio Skinner. I don't know if Oregon's going to be able to get him a, on a visitor or not because I know he right now has four visits, and it's currently to Florida State, Florida, Miami, and uh, Arizona State, and then probably that fourth one being Alabama or whatever. Um, so maybe Oregon gets a visit out of him, maybe not. I know he just released the top schools list, but, um, I I don't think the Ducks are going to land him. I think he'll probably end up going to Florida State or Florida. Yeah. Do do you think that the Ducks are going to try to find another tight end to take, or do you, would you put that percentage? Do you think that, um, that it will just end up being a one tight end class with Andre Dollar? I, I, I think it'll just be Dollar. I think they just wanted to shoot their shot with Jaleel Skinner and see if right how, how far they could go because Jaleel is a, a really good tight end. Right. Yeah, sometimes you have those must-takes, obviously, who, who are just worth it, even if it's not your first priority from a position, if they're that much of an impact player, like yeah. maybe a Skinner is, um, then... You know, it's worth taking them um, and making room for them, yeah. Okay, so that kind of leaves us with these last two uh, areas are are the wide receiver room and the O-line. You know, Ducks kind of at both spots, it seems like, have a ton of really talented options in my mind, and and Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure who they're going to end up uh, in each spot. But let's start with the wide receiver room, I guess. Um, When I did my you know, my targets list, uh, the names that I picked out were Kevin Coleman out of St. Louis. He's a five star. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that would be an insane pickup kind of after bringing in, uh, Franklin and Thornton and Brevard last class to turn around and get a a five star and Kevin Coleman, uh, would really just make the threats that this, uh, Oregon offense has going forward really incredible another guy Tetaroa McMillan uh, out of Anaheim mm-hmm. um, he's a bigger guy uh, he's he plays uh, volleyball and basketball as well so uh, he's six four I think and and kind of how I thought of him is he, he's kind of that red zone jump ball threat maybe that the ducks bring in mm-hmm. um, 
And then uh, there's also a few guys who are kind of local guys that the Ducks have focused on. Mer Tobias Merriweather out of Camas, which for those who don't know, is just across uh, the Columbia River on the border of Oregon and Washington. Uh, and then Darius Clemens, um, who's in Portland, but I think didn't grow up in Portland. So he's not maybe kind of the true uh, uh, in-state kind of bleeds green and yellow type of uh, player, I guess. But he's mm -hmm. the proximity still helps there. Um, so those were four big names that I kind of was looking at at, at receiver. Um, what about you? Was there anything, anyone that stood out to you? Yeah, Coleman probably reminds me more of that Jaden Waddle. I don't think he's mm. as fast as uh, Waddle was, but I think he could have that impact that uh, Waddle did at Alabama. Um, I know Coleman really likes FSU, and I know he just came off of that FSU visit and really liked it. I'm sure he'll come down between FSU, Bama, and Oregon um, yeah. for the last three, and then we'll see how it goes from there. Um, uh Kevin Coleman is a name, uh, Teratoa McMillan, uh, like you mentioned, C.J. Williams. I think Oregon right. lands either Teratoa McMillan or C.J., and USC will probably end up taking the other one. Uh, um, mm -hmm. I know Teratoa just came off a USC visit, and reading off of the 24-7 uh, article that Greg Biggins had, um, he's going to visit Arizona next with uh, with his teammate Noah Fafida and Ian Burnett, uh, both Servite um, players. And then he's going to go visit Oregon June 18th. And then supposedly from the article, uh, USC wants him to come visit for the last weekend. Uh, CJ Williams uh, will visit USC, uh, Texas, Notre Dame, and then Alabama being that he grew up in the Alabama area. Mm, but okay. um, I think Oregon will probably land Teratoa. And then... Uh, Darius Clemens is another name. I think Tobias is probably going to leave the Pacific Northwest and go Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. um, Chris Marshall, I think, has a visit. Right. And I know uh, Nicholas Anderson is another guy that has a visit to Oregon, too. Nicholas Anderson being from Texas, from Katy High School. Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty much it for all the names. Yeah, Chris. Chris oh, Demonic. Uh, Dominique McKenzie is another one, and mm -hmm. Cody Hagen is another. Cody Hagen being that he came from the same high school as uh, Jackson Powers Johnson. Right. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Chris Marshall and C.J. Williams were both guys I I also kind of had in that second tier of other names to look at. Um, I think that's interesting what you said about uh, potentially C.J. and... Um, Tetaroa being a, a split deal between Oregon and USC. Um, okay, do you want to get into offensive line now? Yeah, let's go. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so offensive line to me, uh, you know, looking at this group of, of offers and top lists that Oregon is in, it's kind of clear the impact that Cristobal and Mirabal have had in creating this offensive line culture and obviously getting Panay drafted highly. Um, has had a real impact on kind of national perception of Oregon as this offensive line school. Um, so there's a ton of really talented mm -hmm. options on the O-line, but it's kind of unclear to me exactly who the Ducks will end up with at this point. Um, it seems like they're they're within this top uh, three to five schools for a bunch of really good players, um, and it's going to be really exciting to see where they shake out. So some of those guys... 
Um, Josh Connor, Josh Connerly out of Seattle, Washington, five-star offensive lineman. Um, that's kind of could be a Northwest battle potentially. Um, mm-hmm. Kelvin Banks uh, Jr. He's out of Texas. He's a guy I wrote. Uh, actually, the first piece I wrote uh, when I joined Ducks Digest was kind of about the Texas pipeline. And in in looking at those offers in Texas, it kind of became apparent to me that. Kelvin Banks is really the biggest target that Oregon has in that Texas pipeline. Um, Mm -hmm. We did an interview with Stephon Johnson. He mentioned that he had a good relationship with Kelvin Banks and that Kelvin Banks was the guy that he was recruiting. Um, And Banks, again, is another five-star along the Uh, O-line. I mean, he would just be a huge pickup uh, for Oregon. And I think he's in line to visit. Uh, on June 8th, I think is what I have down tomorrow. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So that's, that's a pretty, um, I think he comes in tonight. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a huge visit, uh, that you should be monitoring that as Oregon fans, we should all be monitoring over these next, uh, few days. Definitely. Tyler Booker, uh, is a guy out of IMG Academy. I actually did an interview with him. You can go check that out on Ducks Digest. Um, he was, you know, he seemed really excited about Oregon. He kind of talked about, uh, how they made an impression on him, um, coming out of, uh, coming out of, out of, well, he was originally, I think lives in, lived in New Jersey or Connecticut. Yeah. Um, Connecticut. Yeah. And then, you know, he was just talking about how Oregon made an impression with the uniforms and stuff, but, um, how he's kind of grown. Uh, more serious about Oregon because of the NFL prospects that they've been able to mm-hmm. pump out under Cristobal. Um, and he's targeting a decision, he said, a few weeks into July, potentially, after he takes a bunch of visits in June. Uh, so that will be really interesting. He's going to be on campus in Eugene June 14th, I think is the plan. So that's a big one. Uh, Florida, Georgia are both heavily involved for him as well. Mm-hmm. Um and then, yeah, so those are all, uh, those three are five stars, borderline five stars. Any of those guys are kind of guys I look at as if, if Oregon picked up any of them, they would be the next kind of heir to the Panay Sewell throne of, and Kingsley Sumatia, maybe a throne of sorts, where they could be first round offensive linemen uh, under Cristobal, I think. And then Dane Shore, Cameron Williams, um, Eston Harris, uh, George Fitzpatrick, Ernest Green, Malik Agbo are other mm-hmm. names who uh, have a potential. Ducks have a have a potential to get, I think, as well. What is your impression of the O line room? Yeah, uh, unlike the wide receiver room, um, I think uh, I, I I kind of figure on who Oregon's going to take at at receiver. Unlike O line, where it's kind of like a little bit unknown. I think Oregon will probably end up landing either Josh Connerly, Kevin, Calvin Banks, or Tyler Booker mm-hmm. uh, for that left tackle spot. Right. Um, I you pretty much mentioned everyone that Oregon's pretty much going after. Um, I know Oregon's high on Cameron Williams and George Fitzpatrick and Malik um, Ajibo um, being mm-hmm. the uh, other tackle spot and Ernest. Uh, Easton uh, Harris Jr. is another guy. Um, right. And then uh, Ernest Green is going to be a tough battle. I know USC is recruiting him hard, and I think family wants him to go to USC. 
Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. But I know Ernest Green is a huge Ducks fan and likes what Coach Cristobal and Coach Mirenball are doing with, with the offensive line guys. And, um, yeah, I, th I think they'll probably end up taking four guys in this class right now. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of um, you, you said Cameron Williams again, and I, I actually just talked to him earlier today. I think um, he's targeting a July 1st decision. So yeah. that's a big one that uh, Oregon fans should be paying attention to. Oregon's r right in the mix there, I think, um, along with uh, maybe Oklahoma. So I think um, – and Miami and Texas, I think, were the others that he's planning to visit. Yeah. So um, – so he's a really important prospect. He's in Texas again, so maybe if you get Williams, that could help with Banks potentially. Um, you know that that's something to watch. Uh, so I think that would be a really big pickup that you're gonna that's you know you're gonna see a decision on here in the next month as a Ducks fan. Um, and you know, in talking to him, it, he seemed to have a good impression of his visit in Oregon. Um, and you can read more about that in a piece that I'll pick. All I'm going to be putting up soon. Um, but yeah, you know that's that's one of the more immediate decisions coming up that I think Oregon fans should be really excited about. Yeah, and for Cameron Williams, it's pretty much Oregon, um, Oklahoma, and Texas being right. the top three, and we'll we'll see whether which factors play more most into his recruitment, whether it's distance and he wants to stay close to home and play for the home state Texas or leave a little bit out of state and go to Oklahoma or go to Oregon and potentially um, have a better future. But I mean, all three schools are good options for sure. Right. And, and I would say um, in watching his stuff, I mean, he's a really talented guy, I think, who if he slimmed down a little bit could could be a, you know, a high round NFL draft pick, especially under yeah. baseball's development. Um so I think, you know, Ducks fans should be uh, really excited about that recruitment potentially and, and definitely rooting for Cameron Williams to end up a Duck because I think he's a big impact guy. Um, you know, maybe not, uh, you know, no one's going to be Penny Sewell probably again and step on as a true freshman and start at left tackle. But I think, you know, by his second or third year, he could make a big impact on this program. Um all right, that that is kind of through the entire uh, entire depth chart board. Was there anything else on the that O line you wanted to mention? Yeah. Um, so the last bit is that even though it, it's pretty much going to be a feeding frenzy for those last three spots, being that Percy Lewis is committed to the Ducks and right. um, Oregon wants to save those last or save at least one spot for one of those elite tackles that mm -hmm. we mentioned prior. And then being the other two, being whoever wants it first, it's pretty much a first come first serve for for those other two spots. And then, of course, Oregon will save that last spot for one of those elite tackles that they're going after. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's my impression of those three guys um, are basically must takes for me. I mean, you know, if you could get one or you know, dream scenario, you get two of those guys. Uh, I think them alone with the other with whatever other guys that we have in the program or, or Chris Bowl will pick up puts you at a top five offensive line in the country right there. Um, you know, you're not going to be losing battles to to anyone with those guys. Um, 
in a playoff scenario or something, and that's really what Oregon needs to build towards right now. Um, awesome. Well, I had a few other questions just kind of to wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can pull up some questions that, that we got on Twitter maybe. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, the first uh, first question um, you kind of answered already was just, you know, how many spots do we think Oregon ends up taking? Um, and, you know, in my piece, I kind of speculated right now a rough estimate is 18, just mm-hmm. kind of when I was working through the math. But obviously these things are very fluid and subject to change, um, you know, depending on uh, who leaves, who declares early, uh, et cetera. So um, that was one. Um, but you kind of already answered that one. Another question I had. Yeah. Well, do you want to say anything else on that first? Yeah, I think it'll pretty much uh, Mel's told me that it they're taking lowest 19 uh, up to max 23. I think they probably take 22 or um, 21. I I think that's probably the ideal range is probably 21 or 22. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think that, you know, and, and if we get 21 or 22, I think we're in a really good spot to mm-hmm. fill out a, a good class. Um, that kind of leads into my next question would just be, you know, we're, we're a long ways out from December and February, but what would you put kind of the over under at for where this class maybe finishes in the national rankings? Um, do you think this is a top 10 group? Do you think we're fighting for the top five again? Or do you think because maybe lower numbers were more in that 12 to 15 range? What do you think? I, I think knowing that Oregon's going to take, because I knew prior that Oregon was going to take 18, 19. So I kind of said it, okay, Oregon's probably going to land at that 10 or 11 spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with new information coming out that they're probably going to take 21, 22, I think they probably slide in that uh, five or six or seven range, um, depending wow. on who they land, depending on who they get, and who who rises with all their camps and with their uh, seasons. Right. Of um, course. Of course. That whole that whole thing is kind of you know will be very fluid, and we'll see how it develops. But I mean, if if Oregon lands in that top eight range again this year. Uh, I, that's huge for the crystal ball tenure mm-hmm. and just will really put us at a point where we have four or five elite classes stock stacked on top of each other. And that's when I think we'll start to see the results come in, in terms of playoff appearances. Yeah. Um, and hopefully extending this conference championship streak and all that. Um, another question I have just kind of for the immediate future, I think a lot of people would want to know um, what, what do you think, uh, how many think? How many commits do you think? Let's say if you're coming on back in the podcast in mid July or something after yeah. all of this busyness comes on, um, it's July twentieth. How many more commits do you think the Ducks have at that point? Let's say over under is uh, three commits. So right now, Oregon. Before this weekend, they were sitting at eight, and now they're up to nine with the commitment of Sir Mills. Right. Um, come July 20th, I think they're probably at uh, 12 or 13. Yeah. But I know Oregon wants to hold the SNL weekend, uh, July 31st, the last day. So we could see right. some commitments leading up to that SNL. So, right. It, and but yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a good point too because um, we're kind of uh, I had kind of forgotten about that momentarily or it slipped my mind because you know obviously it was a year off from having any of those SNL camps and, and yeah. such. But Oregon and Criswell does like to really build the hype around those moments. Yep. So even if they get a silent commitment, let's say in late June or in early July, um, they might tell that person to wait off and uh, announce in the run-up to that SNL camp to help to build extra momentum and maybe uh, flip another guy on on that SNL weekend. Yeah, and pretty much these these silent commitments don't mind. Our, Mario doesn't like silent commitments because he likes to know, hey, are you either in or out? And, right. But if it's to build momentum and build for... Um, build up this class and build up some uh, momentum with some other guys they don't mind waiting an extra week or two or an extra few days to make their announcement and um of course these silent commitments commitments are already working on these guys and they're already telling them hey i'm committed um i'm gonna announce uh this day at this time and um and of course they're already recruiting and of course it's already on the uh, back side of it yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, especially when it's that temporary of a thing where if, say, someone commits at in early July and, you know, Chris Walter says, hey, wait two weeks to announce it officially, uh, it's not quite as risky where another school's going to jump in there and flip that person. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's interesting. And, and with that SNL thing, that could be something that, that Oregon really tries to build to. Um, uh, yeah, I think... Um, do you have any more questions? Because I got two more. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, you, you shoot them. Okay, so we we probably should get to them, and I want to get your thoughts on it, too. Um, of course, we got to... So, Sko underscore yo xx uh, on Twitter asked, um, what do you think our chances are with JTT? Um, he just question. came off of the uh, Washington visit. Um, he's going to go visit USC, I believe next. Mm -hmm. And then Ohio state us, and then Alabama being the last. Yep, exactly. Uh, and he's taking this whole week for graduation so he can enjoy his uh, high school graduation. Um, I think our chances are good. I think it's probably between us, Oregon and Alabama. If I had to put it on percentage, I think probably like, <sighs> like 70 percent 80 it's really hard because he's he's being really quiet and of course the only person that he talks to is brandon huffman but i think i think oregon has a really good shot at him but i think it'll only help um the defensive line for the season and it might change some things on who oregon takes and doesn't take um right. with the 2022 cycle with jtt still uh thinking about us right. and then uh the other question um uh, asked which backup will start up this year. I think it'll be Jay Butterfield, and then I think probably Robbie Ashford will be third, and then um, Ty Thompson will probably be fourth or third, um, depending mm -hmm. on. It'll probably be that or spot on the um, yeah. on the depth chart. Right, and Chris, then, Cristobal loves <laughs> those ors definitely. Um, yeah, on that front, I think one thing that I think it broke since we last our uh, our last episode uh, was uh, Robbie Ashford decided to uh, uh, stop playing baseball. Uh, I think that's a football. great move for him. Yeah, it's a. It, I mean, uh, it really changes the dynamic of this quarterback competition. I would say because it shows that he's really serious. One, and it also probably shows that 
someone in the staff has, or whatever, you know, has at least given an indication that he's a serious contender for this starting spot going forward. Maybe not this fall, but um, going into his next year. Um, and so him taking full time, I mean, I, I wrote a whole thing about the quarterbacks um, again on Ducks Digest if people want to check it out. And uh, Ashford really impressed me during the spring game. Same. Um, he's has an athleticism that no other quarterback in the room really quite brings. Um, and so if he can get his, his accuracy down consistently, he can, you know, uh, really add another dynamic to this offense with his running ability that no one else can bring. And, and especially in an RPO offense that's built on having – uh, you know, reacting to the defense um, and always having another kind of threat uh, no matter what they take away. A quarterback's running ability just adds one more thing that a defense has to account to account for when they're already overwhelmed with options. Um, and so that was a big that was a big move. I think um, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see how the quarterback competition plays out as well. I think, uh, I don't think Ty Thompson will start. You know, I still think it's Anthony Brown's job. Um, yeah. But I would say I think that I people shouldn't underestimate the fact that Ty Thompson is a true freshman and that he could potentially pick up a lot of things and progress more rapidly than everyone else there um, because he's learning the playbook and building chemistry with receivers for really the first time. Um, so I think that's something to watch in terms of the backup uh, backup competition. Yeah, and I don't want people to fret like, oh, Ty Thompson didn't do well in practice. Oh, he didn't. He threw a pick. Whatever. Like, it's gonna happen. Like, he's a he's a true freshman. Exactly. Like, like he's gonna make mistakes, and it's probably better that he does make these mistakes now, especially uh, with the kind of defense Oregon runs. I'm I'm assuming it's a hard defense to play against with uh, KT and all these DBs to to throw against um it's good it's good experience and being uh, when he comes into year two i think he'll be more prepared and have a really good shot at at the quarterback starting spot and i think going back to robbie i think it was a really good move that he um decided to take football seriously and i think it was probably the best decision being that uh, baseball wasn't kind of really working out for him Um, i don't know his statistical uh, his stats. Um, all I heard was was that he was kind of struggling and um, he wasn't even a starter for the baseball team. Um, right. And hopefully, he he's more of that Mac Jones player where he it takes a little while and he he sits back for a little bit and um, has has an opportunity to start. And maybe Oregon runs a two quarterback system where he adds a different dimension with his with his legs, being that he is faster than Ty Thompson and. Jay Butterfield and Anthony Brown. I think he adds a different dynamic to the quarterback room. So we'll we'll see how it plays out the next couple of years. And of course, Tanner Tanner Bailey comes in next year. But um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I should also go back and give my thoughts on on JTT real quick. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, you know that's a recruitment I've been following really closely for two years now as as a lot of people who follow Oregon Ducks recruiting closely given that he's the top player in the country basically or Mm -hmm. one of the top few um yeah I think uh you're right that Oregon has a good shot here um actually uh Josh Pate who does a show late kick yeah um, he's great 
Yeah, he's great. I, I mean, I, I don't miss an episode of that, and I would recommend that for anyone who loves college football. He, at the end of his last episode, did a segment on the JTT thing, and he actually mentioned uh, he thought Oregon was the team that people were sleeping on. Yeah. Um, and he also talked a lot about kind of how these sort of quiet recruitments go when a, when a player um, doesn't give a lot of interviews, and, and JTT has only talked to Brandon Huffman, really, as he said. Uh, it goes to a point where any single piece of information that gets leaked out kind of gets echoed and amplified by all these outlets. And then all these people, all of a sudden you hear um, say that, you know, Ohio State leads, for instance. But it's a bit different from other recruitments because in this instance, all those outlets are, aren't getting it independently from their own sources. They're just getting it from one source uh, yeah. who heard one thing. And they kind of, it's like a game of telephone, basically, you know. And it doesn't help anyone. Exactly. Um, where you hear one thing, and then Huffman says something, and then all of a sudden someone else says it, but they say it a little more extreme. And then you have people on Twitter saying, he's already an Ohio State commit, basically. Yeah. It's over. Or and, I heard this, or oh, he heard that. Right. And and the reality is, Tum, JT Tumalau's kept things very close to the vest. I totally respect the fact that he's waited this long to take visits yeah and i respect him right and he's done that for a reason because if he knew any of the schools he was going to commit to 100 percent, he could have committed a long time ago so this recruitment is still in a very fluid and dynamic place i think um and i you know similar to you, i like oregon's position a lot being close to home on the west coast allowing him to go home whenever he wants he clearly kind of has a close relationship with his family. We have mm -hmm. the Polynesian connection. And, you know, we're simply the best program in the, on the West Coast right now. Um, so I think that we have a great chance. I think Alabama and Ohio State are big threats. I, you know, I've heard from some from some sites and stuff that they say Washington has, has gained some momentum, maybe. Yeah, I've heard that too. And... That's interesting. I, you know, I question it sometimes because I think that it's probably a lot of people with sources around the seven-on-seven seven camps and stuff uh, in yeah. the Northwest who maybe favor or favor Washington to begin with. Um, but I think if he's if Washington's mo gaining momentum, that's almost a good sign for Oregon for me because it means that yep. more than anything, distance is becoming a factor, and that's what Oregon really wants. Um, I think, you know, QB11 over on the Scoop Deck boards always said it. If distance wasn't a factor, everyone would just go to Alabama because you're never going to, you know, find a school that develops people better than Alabama does under Saban or can guarantee a national championship or whatever. Um, and obviously that's a little bit of hyperbole, but, you know, the Ducks do need distance in this recruitment. So I would say, yeah, you know, I think Oregon's, at a 50 or 60% chance to land him. I would put mm -hmm. it a little more of a toss up, but I, I truly believe Oregon is right in the heart of this recruitment right now. And, you know, there's a reason why he's held off when rumors of Ohio state and Alabama have came around. And I think that just Oregon can offer something being both an elite program and being on the West coast that no other school can in this recruitment. Um, and especially with guys like Kayvon uh, in there already who can kind of show that you can 
get a first, you know, be a top five pick going to Oregon and pave that way on the defensive side. And now mm-hmm. Noah Sewell and Justin Flo to play alongside of. Um, I think I think the Ducks have a lot going for them in this recruitment, and it's so going to be a real battle. Uh, that you know, any I would just say any Ducks fan who's tuned out of the JT to him allow thing because they're tired, he hasn't committed yet, or they think Ohio State is clearly ahead of the rest. I would tell you to tune back into this because it's about to really heat up with this week of visits, and it's still anyone's game really. And Oregon has a has a very real chance to land them. Yeah, on the last bit of that, um, I know uh, DeForest Buckner called Sir Mills, and I know DeForest Buckner probably spoke to Cyrus Moss about how good of Oregon is a is a good business decision. So I'm 100% sure that DeForest Buckner, Ark Armstead, and some other uh, great defensive linemen that Oregon has had is probably going to talk to JT. And KT spoke to Sir Mills how they do it at Oregon and um, how Coach Coach Joe Salavia coaches. Right. And it's just a matter of days until JTT commits because if he wants to enroll and um, get in anywhere, he needs to commit probably by like the first week or second week of July, which exactly. I think is probably the ideal. And I know Ohio State starts classes, I think, July 7th for their accelerated courses. So we'll probably see a commitment probably after July 1st. Um, it'll yeah. probably take a few days. And then no matter where he goes, he's he's going to be at a disadvantage because, of course, the strength and conditioning. I know he's been playing basketball the last few weeks, so that's probably been keeping him in shape a little bit. But um, to really elevate um, the strength and conditioning and nutrition, it, it would be more beneficial if he was already on campus. <laughs> Right, definitely. Um, yeah, I think his last visit of at Alabama wraps up the twenty fifth or twenty seventh or something of June. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like you said, it you know it's probably going to be get off of that visit, take a few days, and then announce a decision early in July. So this thing is really you know within a month here we're going to know finally after two years where JTT is going, um, and so that's yeah. really exciting mm-hmm. and. And like you said, you know, he might not be an immediate impact guy because of the time that he he's because he hasn't had the time within a strength and conditioning program yet. But there's a reason why he's ranked the number one player in the country. Yeah, his pass rush moves are so elite. Like I think he's just as equal as uh, Corey Foreman. Yeah, yeah, completely. So, and, and we'll a- see how he decides to announce the commitment because it could go one way where. Uh, Brandon Huffman just drops the commitment article and that's right. pretty much how everyone finds out or he does a video and a commitment post or uh, he does it with FSP with his 7 on 7 team mm, and right. then he probably does a conference there with them so we'll we'll see how he wants to do it but I think we'll find out once he comes off that Alabama visit probably within the next 48 hours on if he on how he wants to do that commitment or if yeah. Or how he wants to do it, yeah. Yeah, and, and especially, I think it's also just, uh, you know, it's not quite the same as winning the Ohio State game, but that just gaining that commitment would raise the legitimacy of this program under Cristobal mm-hmm. nationally to a huge degree because everyone is tracking that, you know, where is JTT going to go? And a lot of people nationally have said, oh, it's Ohio State or Alabama. And if Oregon came through and actually won that thing, it would really show a lot of people that, you know, this this 
program under Chris Walls for real. Yeah, even if Oregon loses or wins against Ohio State, they might see each other in the playoffs come right. January. Right. Yeah, and it would, it would, I mean, it certainly wouldn't hurt to have JTT in there, at least as a depth piece when we take our trip to Columbus. Yeah. I think no matter where JT goes, I think he'll probably start week five or week six or week seven, probably for w- whatever program he goes to. But I think it's pretty much an Oregon, Ohio State, Alabama uh, battle. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing with Washington maybe as a dark horse, but uh, I don't really buy yeah. it totally. Um, okay, was there any other questions you had, or was that it? Uh, that was pretty much about it. I mean, the last question that I got, but it's it's a long question, but I'm just going to keep it short. Um, he asked, uh, Sko underscore 19, he said, uh, what do you think about AB uh, starting? I think AB is going to be a good quarterback. I don't think he's going to be elite. Um, I don't think he's probably even going to be drafted, but as long as AB does what he needs to do and just get out to the receivers like Micah, Josh Delgado, and um, just make the correct reads and passes, I think Oregon's offense is going to be just fine, and I think it's good enough. I think he's good enough to beat Ohio State if they're able to. Yeah, I would say I I agree with that completely. I think our our weapons at receiver are a step up from last year. With yeah. I mean. Troy Franklin and Dante Thorne, from anything I've heard, have been unbelievable on campus so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and all those other guys who are older get another year. Devin Williams could, you know, hopefully will step into his own even more. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, there, and then there's experience at running back. Tight ends is growing. There, there's just a ton of talent on this offense, and furthermore, it's Moorhead's second year. Second year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after a shortened off season too last year, so now he really gets to implement his stuff more. And I think Brown will be a slight upgrade from Shuck. Like you said, I don't think, you know, he's not going to win the Heisman. He's not a game-breaking quarterback. Yeah. But I don't know if he needs to be. And especially, you know, Ohio State, I think uh, their brand is so big, but they have a lot of questions that they're dealing with. They're yeah. breaking in a quarterback, and they have some questions in the secondary. Their secondary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, you know, they're not this perfect team. There's weaknesses for Oregon to, to um, take advantage of during that trip to Columbus. So I'm really excited for that. And like you said, you know, I wouldn't count Oregon out in that, even if Anthony Brown is the one starting. And I also think he can, he can, um, you know, take this team through a Pac-12 schedule as well, probably. And, and we could repeat as, uh, as Pac-12 champs for the third time. Yeah, and of course we'll get more into depth with this Ohio State game next time that we get on the podcast and talk. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we would love to have you back. Um, hopefully, you know, sometime after this kind of recruiting cools down or something, we can mm-hmm. kind of look back at what we said in this in this episode, see what came true, and then preview some of the season more in depth. Maybe before the SNL or yeah. after. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. Um, okay, yeah, do you have anything else for us? That was pretty much it. Thank you, Reed, for having me on. Hopefully, Charlie can come on next time, and I wish him the best of luck with finals this week. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're, we're so excited to have you on. Um, it's Yeah, it's just awesome that we get to do this. I love love talking Ducks. Appreciate it. Obviously. You too. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening, and go Ducks. Go Ducks.